the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt inside the Beltway on this Monday, September the 13th, 2021. I'm joined by Professor Harvey Mansfield, Jr., who's been teaching at Harvard a long time because I had him when I was there. And I asked Professor Mansfield to join me today because he's one of the few people who've actually watched the arc of American politics from the Cold War right through to yesterday. And uh, Professor Mansfield, welcome back. Good to have you on the show again. Uh, thanks very much for having me. <clears throat> it's a pleasure. Uh, Professor, from your vantage point, where do you see the country right now? Is it is it a significant event that we walked out on Afghanistan and sent it back into medieval barbarity? Yes. <laughs> I start with that. Um, just how much of a crisis um, it will prove to be, I don't know. But uh, that was a disastrous mistake, I think, both in policy and, of course, in execution. Now, we've seen disastrous mistakes before. And I mentioned I was uh, in your classes. I won't say a student. I just wasn't smart enough to be a political theorist. But I was in your classes (laughs) when Saigon fell and there were demonstrations in Harvard Square and people were happy about that. And then genocide followed. So I remember low points. Is it is this like that? But in between, we got the triumph of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Is it is it a parabola or a Doppler? What is it? What's going on? <laughs> well, you know, that's really hard to say. How, how was the electorate taking it? And um, um, so far, they seem um, to be all right with the policy, but not with the of withdrawal, but not with the execution of it. But we'll see um, how it reacts. And in general, um, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm not sure I can, I can uh, or, or anyone can um, predict, but we can say, oh, that we have suffered these uh, um, crises from disastrous mistakes before. Uh, we've managed to come back. So there's a great resiliency in America. There there has been a great resiliency. There's also been a different sort of political leadership. And to that question, I turn generally speaking over the many decades you've been teaching. What is the state of political leadership in America? Mm. (laughs) Could be better. (laughs) (laughs) Expand on that. How? Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, Mr. Biden was supposed to uh, calm us down, and and he did for uh, for a while. But um, and he follows his party, so uh, and his party's gone way left. So uh, that, that I think is not uh, 
not a positive uh, example of of leadership. On the Republican side, uh, there is Trump. Trump, uh, in my view, uh, which is very controversial, uh, was not such a bad president in his deeds. But uh, the worst thing he did was the thing that he did uh, uh, after he lost the election. He, he proved to be a loser. He couldn't take a loss. And he uh, incited uh, this, uh, you know, if not insurrection, uh, something close to a riot, uh, taking over uh, one of the institutions, great institutions of our government, a building. So, uh, and he's still there. So uh, he's still a presence in the Republicans. So um, the best thing would be if he would uh, just fade away and disappear like uh, old soldiers, according to MacArthur. Would that actually... He doesn't doesn't seem to be doing that. No, he's not doing it. Would that do any good, though? I think actually the political (laughs) class has declined. You know, my view is that the political class has declined precipitously in its seriousness. And they just don't talk about things in a serious way. They don't read in a serious way. And it's because the American media has chosen to amplify that which is not serious. Do, do you agree with me about that? Uh, not altogether. I, I think uh, um, there's still uh, some seriousness on the Republican side and maybe two on the Democratic side. But uh, you're right about the influence of the media. media. It, it, it is, um, it, it, it's deadening, it's stultifying, it's, um, and it's insightful. It, it uh, teaches people to be angry and not, rather than to think. And, um, so, so, but it's, you see, in the presence of, uh, of Trump on the Republican side, it's, it's hard to be thoughtful. It's hard to... That, that's not that's not the the kind of uh, competition you're facing. So uh, so so it's a real problem, I think, and I hope temporary um, on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, um, well, uh, there, there are uh, uh, you know several um, possible leaders to come after um, Biden, but it, it it doesn't look. Um, very, uh, very promising. Not at all. The last time we talked, you had written a book called Manliness. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I wanted to go back to that. The problems that you identified 15 years ago in sort of American vitality, have they gotten worse? Uh, yes, I think uh, <laughs> uh, there I'll join you in uh, pessimism. But, uh, uh, I, I talked at the end of that book about the danger arising from unemployed manliness. That is, manly people who have no outlet or no way to express their manliness. And I think that um, we see that now, and it's, uh, and it's really gotten worse. You see it, for example, in the uh, universities, uh, where women are now 61% um, of students in, in, in American universities. And men are sort of dropping out. There have been a couple of stories in this in the Post and Times recently. And that, that I think, is, um, is, is a sign of a, a real problem. Another, another sign of it is the, the fact that so many people are dropping out of work, able-bodied people, able-bodied uh, 
Uh, I, I don't quite identify manliness with males. Right. But uh, <laughs> there is, uh, the, but manliness prevails <laughs> in the male sex. So, so uh, uh, if if men go down, it's likely that manliness, the reason manliness is no longer appreciated and no longer uh, presented as something that's uh, worthwhile and What you refer to, the Wall Street Journal article on the 60-40 split in American university enrollment is something I'm talking about with Dr. Larry Arndt this Friday in the Hillsdale Dialogue that I do. They do not have that problem in Hillsdale where they remain 50-50, but it is a tipping point problem in American universities. When they become 60-40, they decelerate in terms of male admissions. They don't accelerate. They actually decelerate. Yeah. So, and there's uh, a lot of colleges are doing kind of Affirmative action for for males. <laughs> that, that's a, um, a paradox, but it uh, is because I think affirmative action is one of the causes of our troubles. But but uh, it it shows uh, it shows the problem. Harvard, by the way, is still fifty fifty. Now you've had a lot of students over the decades that you've been teaching, uh, including Tom Cotton and Bill Crystal, people who have you know diametrically opposed views on many things and they agree on many things. Has the quality of your students changed or their preparation or their ability to handle the material? No, I wouldn't say. Um, that's, that's been uh, fairly constant. The quantity is, uh, has diminished now that I'm old and have less clout than I used to, but still, uh, still they're around. Actually, most of my recent PhDs uh, have been women. So, uh, so I don't, now you just you I said that very casually. That. Now that I'm old, I have a yeah. column in the Washington Post today where <laughs> I want people to understand. I don't think old means infirm necessarily, but I we think are. President Biden is infirm. I don't think you're infirm. Is there a <laughs> distinction right. between old and infirm in your view, Professor yes, Mansfield? Of course. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not quite infirm. And so, how do you understand infirmity? What do you think it, it conveys? Uh, it conveys senility or the uh, the loss of your capacities, um, especially the capacity to think and think quickly and 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 think hard. And so, energy in the executive. I know you've written about yeah, this, Hamilton's right. favorite uh, uh, seventy-eight, right. and you've written about it in Tocqueville. I just think we have an energy deficit. Not, I don't believe the president is incapacitated. I just don't think the energy you need to be the chief executive is there. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, you do get tired more easily. That that happens still with um, that happens with me and with uh, when I, don't, I don't think my intellectual faculties are are, are much diminished. But uh, yes, yeah, you get tired, and uh, and and and, I, and, I, and you see that very easily in in Biden. So what does that mean for the country when, when a president gets tired easily? And I do think we see that in the president. And, it, you know, you see it in anyone, everybody. It's a fact of nature. It's not really <laughs> controversial. Right, right. No, uh, it, it can paradoxically make him strike out more uh, irresponsibly by being uh, by lacking energy. Because you, you, you lack the energy to listen to all sides and to think the thing through. So, so that's interesting. It's, it's, Would you expand on that, Professor? Well, it's, it's withdrawal from Afghanistan suggests that uh, he, 
you, you start looking for quick ways out. And yeah. uh, so, uh, and what, what saves energy <laughs> and uh, keeps you from, um, sort of reduces the number of problems you have on your hands. That's what he thought he was doing, I think. Oh, that's interesting. So he was making the office easier for himself. That is very interesting because I hadn't thought about that. But yes, if that problem set is removed, if you just turn your back on a problem set, you do have more energy for those problem sets which remain. That's what you think, (laughs) which assumes that the problems that you turn your back on aren't going to get worse. Uh, Professor, when we abandon a country to medievalism, and the Telegraph today in the United Kingdom has just a a horrifying story about the burqas are are no longer considered acceptable. Now you have to be robed and hooded under the Taliban. Women in black is what it is. It's row after row of women in black. And and you've been a university teacher. You know what that means for those women. They're not going to learn. Will that burden our conscience at all, or does the West just move blithely along the way, not caring what happens? Yeah, it's, it's hard to think that it will leave us uh, uh, unimpressed. And um, I mean, what is feminism about? But uh, um, the self-expression for women, and then the, the the worst thing that he could imagine would would seem to be what is happening and uh, under the Taliban. For well, women. Th- that's exactly right. So I'm, I think there's a contradiction at the heart of our republic now, which is for the last 30 years, we have been rightly concerned about equality and it's dominated the political agenda. And then we have just condemned 38 million people to the worst sort of inequality. Does that take a toll on the American republic? Well, I hope it takes a toll on our consciences. I think that's a very good point to make. And to repeat and to emphasize that, uh, that that this is a regime of the worst kind of inequality. It's also t- it tells something to conservatives that inequality is not always good. Right. Oh, it's very visibly displayed what happens when tyrants are given unchecked power and yes. how right. rapidly a government can descend right. into into barbarity. Do you have any hope that they'll emerge out of this? Or, or let me let me retract that question and put it this way. After Vietnam's collapse, America withdrew into isolation and feebleness for six years. And it took Reagan, and actually it was nine years before he exercised force in Granada. Do you mm-hmm. expect it will take a similar amount of time for America to come back to a leadership position? Well, I, I mean, I, I just don't know. It could well. They, um, what is the electorate going to say uh, next year? So, um, or um, if the provocation is uh, is strong enough, maybe the Democrats will do something. They'll have to respond, force be forced to respond. So we don't know. They've they've really set themselves a hostage to fortune by leaving the, all those people in Afghanistan. And then, so they, they may, if they have to uh, undertake a rescue operation or something like that. And, um, and I think they've also set themselves a hostage to President Xi and President Putin and the Iranian mullahs. I, I think they must watch 
President Biden and conclude certain things. What, what do you think they are thinking right now about us? Um, yeah, the, they can't understand why we seem to be so weak. We're the most powerful country in the world, and they know what they would do if they were if they had our equipment. But uh, they see that we're not doing this. I don't think that they're impressed with our morality. That's interesting. Rather with our weakness. Uh, So appeals to human rights are going to fall on uh, simply closed ears. Uh, There's just no appealing to human rights when you've abandoned a country to barbarism, is there? Well, (laughs) I mean, you can still talk about it, but your talk sounds so cheap and uh, and ineffectual. And... uh, so there's, there's nothing more disgusting than than ineffectual moralism. That is willing willing to denounce, but not to do. Wow, that's right, and that's where I think we are now. We're stuck in that groove. I, I don't know how we get out of this groove. I am curious if you are you teaching this fall, Professor? Yes, I am. Yeah. And is it got one hundred six A and B? Is that in got ten? Right. It's now ten sixty and ten sixty one. Okay, so will you be saying that uh, who is the most relevant of the people you teach to America of 2021-2022? Well, um, actually, I would say one person whom I've studied and who isn't in this course, but is uh, very important for us today, and that's Tocqueville. And that that might lead us into uh, a question of Harry Jaffa, because... Jeff, I thought, always uh, underestimated the importance and the and the value of Tocqueville's thinking. I just spent an hour talking to Glenn Elmers about his new book, The Soul of Politics, about Harry Jaffa. And you and he were argumentative across the coast, you representing the East Coast Drowsian and Harry Jaffa, the West Coast Drowsian. Who would be more pessimistic right now, you or he? <laughs> I don't know. We agreed on most things, actually. <laughs> but uh, he was uh, had the sort of temperament that wanted full time uh, agreement with no caveats. So, and that 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 famous quip of of Buckley's about it's, uh, if it's difficult to disagree with him, it's even more difficult to agree with him. Yes, that that, that, uh, that, that by the way, I think was is a is quite a profound uh, remark about. Because uh, it seemed to me that, um, that that this did very well characterize uh, Harry Jaffa's uh, uh, wonderful career. It was a wonderful career, and he's very, very successful. He was a kind and good-hearted fellow. I'm setting this all up now to start my criticism. But, yes. But, uh, <laughs> that, you know, and we were friends. Um, I first met him when I was 16 years old a high school student in Columbus, Ohio, where my father taught at Ohio State in the political science department, and Harry Jaffa was a recently hired uh, um, uh, assistant professor there, the first Jew that had ever been in the political science department at, at Ohio State. That was the doing of my father. And uh, he, was a, he was an intellectual force, and he attracted me um, listening to him at our house when he would come over, and so I—that's why I got to 
know him, and I saw him quite a bit all the time. I was a uh, student at Harvard thereafter. So, uh, so I have this uh, long and uh, very friendly history with him. But he did uh, come out in criticism of me, you know, and, and of, um, most of uh, uh, his, uh, most conservatives um, uh, that he that he knew or or encountered or went after. Um, so, so that was. Insufficiently appreciative, perhaps, of the Declaration in Lincoln would be his yeah. argument. Uh, that's, I, that's that's right, which is what he discovered for us. So we, yeah. and, I, and, I, and his his brilliant book, uh, Crisis of the House Divided. That's a book which uh, every American student should read because it brings out the importance of and the philosophical depth of Lincoln. He he discovered that for us. And we, we, I mean, uh, we, all of us, and especially those who follow Leo Strauss, are very grateful to him for having done that. Let me conclude, Professor, by, by asking you about a comment made to me by a retired major general in the Marine Corps. And for a long time, this two-star was in charge of the education uh, system of the Marine Corps. And he remarked that basic school, where the Marines go after officer candidate school or Annapolis, had to cram eight weeks of learning into 16 weeks of courses because they arrived without a basic moral framework. And the Marine Corps needed twice as long as it used to take to put a very basic moral decision-making into their officers. Is that a problem generally among the young in America now? Uh, sure it is, yes. We, have, we suffer still from a, a kind of um, relativism very general relativism that everybody can make his own identity. And, and this can be interpreted in two ways. One way is uh, um, nothing is true and, and it doesn't make sense to do anything because um, everything that you do is controversial. And uh, the other is the opposite way and say, well, um, I, I don't have to pay any attention to anyone else because I'm uh, my my views are are uh, sufficient for me. So so you you charge ahead and um, and attack everyone. And so so we've gone from a, the, the first kind a kind of tolerant rel- relativism, over tolerant relativism, now to a totally aggressive intolerance of of uh, but still relativism. And that aggressive intolerance is now going to be hoisted on its own petard as it looks at Afghanistan. Because, yes. I, I mean, we have to actually willfully commit ourselves to amnesia to yeah. see what we've done here. That's right. Yeah. No, it's... Um, yeah, that, isn't, that was really a terrible act. And it, did, um, it, must, it, have it, must pre- made, it must have made the army and, and the military so ashamed while executing these... These orders, but leaving no one resigned. Equipment, um, and leaving before they left the people that they were supposed to protect. What, what kind of behavior is that? But nobody resigned, Professor. No, that's right. What conclusion do you draw from that? Uh, that that's, <laughs> that this was a big mistake. That somebody should have resigned, and um, somebody still should. Well, that we have an entire officer corps 
and in a political establishment at the State Department, the Homeland Security Department, and of course the Department of Defense, and not one person has resigned over abandoning hundreds of thousands of people, and, and by the way, Americans. I don't think there's a predicate for this. Is there in American history? Uh, I'm not aware of one. It, it is kind of a repetition of uh, of the ending of the Korean and the Vietnam and and now the Afghanistan wars. But we, we got our Americans a, we back. Have a, and... We have a peace party in our country, and uh, that, that's something uh, we have to reckon with um, because they were still Americans, and uh, we can't wish them out of out of existence, <laughs> and they won't go away. So uh, somehow we have to find ways to convince or persuade enough of those, at least in the middle, to um, take a better view of things. By peace party, do you mean isolationists on both the left and the yes. right? Yes, but especially uh, on the left. You know, that, that, um, that's, uh, you know, the normal condition of politics is peace. And, uh, and peace at any price is always a, a great temptation. So they don't want to fight. They want to negotiate. And they don't want to really negotiate because they're always uh, making a unconditional offers to the other side. So they, they, they gradually lose, but uh, with, a, with a good conscience, they think, because uh, they're not shedding blood or attacking. So, so that's, that's uh, the way they think. On the right, it's more uh, the peace party is more discussed with uh, not fighting things, something to the end, uh-huh. and and and, uh, and and making an end of it, See? getting getting rid of this problem, and not realizing that problems keep popping up. So you have to every generation has to face and solve its own problems. I think that's there's a sometimes a desire. We're a can-do country, but uh, if it turns out to be difficult to do something, uh, we sometimes uh, get disgusted and give up too soon. Not always, so, but well, sometimes. Often, actually, but we didn't do so in the Cold War because of Reagan. So I always keep telling people oh, Reagan is a possibility. Right. Let me let me close by asking you, Professor Mansfield, about what you referred to as, as the President Trump problem. Uh, what is your advice to people in the Republican Party about the former president as he remains a force majeure on the political stage? Well, it's, it's very difficult to make a judgment, but uh, I, I try, try to gradually distance yourself from him in such a way as to reduce his influence. But the, the thing, the thing is, uh, yeah, you have to make a judgment of his of his, of his power with the voters, and. Uh, and, and it won't do you any good to be voted out of voted out of your office on, in a primary by Trump partisans. So, 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 so there's going to be a, a, a difference or diversity of reaction to this to this uh, Trump problem. But I think it is a problem for everyone. Be prudent, though. That's yes. it's neither declaratory in one extreme or the other. Just be prudent. 
That's right. You know, among my students, I, I, they go from never Trumper like Bill Crystal to to Charles Kessler, who is something of a Trumpista. Yeah. But I, I, I although I think he draws a line at at misdeeds like January sixth. So, but so, uh, so you know, so in, intelligent and and well-meaning people will nonetheless disagree. But still, I think that's the problem. The problem is on the Republican side is how to uh, slough off Donald Trump. Now, okay, I, I lied about my last question. There are three Republicans who sort of dominate the stage, maybe four right now. Senator Cotton, who is a former student of yours, Senator Tim Scott of Florida, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and now Governor of Florida Ron DeSantis. There are others, of course, who will seek the presidency. All four of them seem to me to me to be very serious people. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do, very much. Yeah. So I, I mean, Tom Cotton, I know, and he's a wonderful fellow. And but the others are uh, also seem to me to be very solid and. Uh, and aware and interested. So, I, yeah, I agree with that with that list of four. And if those people mark out a path, it would be a path for a serious Republican Party that, that dealt with big issues like what we've done in Afghanistan as opposed to small issues. And I, I hope we go that way. I'm not much of an optimist about that, Professor, but <laughs> yes. I hope right. we go that way. Right. Well, see, uh, we have to convince some Democrats or moderates in the middle. And there's there's always that necessity. So, so um, well, I appreciate you're taking that, the time that's to moderate moderating thought. Uh, on that note, we will conclude. Thank you, Professor. Have a great semester. Is this your 60th year teaching? At least. At least. <laughs> well, one of these days I'll figure out something. I was in those same classes with Charles Kessler, and he always answered your questions. I didn't. But, uh, okay. That's why I'm a lawyer. Thank you, Professor. Good, good. To ha- good to have you again. Right. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. Andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.